Maloli Soifu, you're tuned into Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Uloingua, or Susana Suisuiki. First up, Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, Kiribati, PNG, Nauru. A new fisheries app is casting its net wide across the Pacific region. Also, massive amount of people who've joined this scheme, each paying a minimum of 750 kina. There's something fishy going on in PNG. Scammers wrangle their way into the pockets and wallets of locals. And later on... I don't think that for all these attacks, many people will go and say, OK, let's target the Pacific region. Koroi looks into last year's cyber attack in Vanuatu. Was it caused by phishing with a PH? A new fisheries app has been launched. It's the first of its kind in the Pacific region. Presented at the SPC's Heads of Fisheries meeting last week, the Ikasavia app was developed three years ago to bring accurate data on coastal fishing. As well as finding out what type of fish that's out there on the market, users can find out the fish size, cost and even learn where the fish was caught. Jan Kahoot spoke with SPC senior coastal fishery scientist Dr Andrew Halford about the app. Can you just tell us what's what's new about the Ikasavia app? Yeah, sure. Look, just a, a little bit of context. Probably been spent the last two or three years trying to put this system together, and so it's kind of been an incremental uh, improvement in what's going on. And now that COVID's travel, you know, blockages have stopped, and we we can get out and about a bit more with this. You know, we've been able to sort of accelerate um, development in the areas that we think we can get most bang for our buck, and really that. The artificial intelligence that, that sort of underlies a lot of the system and enables uh, automatic and semi-automatic identification of, of species. So it, it's essentially a photo-based system. The idea is that, you know, for those where, where the expertise isn't necessarily there, just the act of taking the photo enables uh, the reporting still to go on at species level. You know, the, the species gets pushed up into the cloud where, where our databases are and then we identify it and, and the information is stored from there. And, and one of the bigger breakthroughs in that is that we've spent quite a bit of time uh, trying to do this with invertebrates as well. So the best way to try and get you to visualise it, if you think of fish, if you lay them down on a board, for example, and take a photo, they're quite flat. But invertebrates, and when I think of invertebrates in coastal fishery space, I think of lobsters, mud crabs, that sort of thing. They're very large sort of three-dimensional animals. So when you put them on a down flat and you take a photo on a measuring board, the three-dimensionality introduces what can be quite a significant error in, the, in the, the, the photographic image. So we've been able to sort of do some work in that area and work out that just by the simple addition of a coin of known dimensions you sit on top of the, the crab or the lobster, we can do an automatic conversion so that you, know, you, uh, you can get accurate lengths. Uh, from the system, and that, that's something that just hasn't been out there previously. So over and above uh, a lot of the other systems that are out there at the moment. So so how many countries have taken that up, not only in the Pacific, but maybe maybe other countries in the world um, have taken use of that app? We have, uh, uh, we have well, New Caledonia obviously here using it, Wallace and Batuna, Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, Kiribati, uh, PNG, Nauru, um, and I, we're off to the Solomon Islands um, next month and then Palau and Tuvalu this year as well. And then basically we've run out of years, so then we go into the following year. So, And I'm in the process of uh, working out who, who, who we're off to see with that next year as well. So, The purpose of this is to cut out the, the pain of uh, using, you know, using um, paper and sheet, having this huge amount of work to, to measure and everything. This is a quick way, quick, efficient way to to measure how many species 
at the market and how many are being fished? Um, it is. Look, just uh, I'll just quickly say it, it's efficiencies are one of obviously one of the major um, benefits of the system, but 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 it's more because every when you have paper, there's multiple steps to get it from data written on paper into where the endpoint where it can be analysed and moved up. And each one of those steps, you, you introduce more errors by capturing electronic at the start. You know, it, it, essentially each of the fields tells you what you can and can't put in that field. So you, you, you tighten up the system, you know, to a huge degree. And, that, and that, that's equally as important because, you know, a lot of the problem we have is that a new person will start a job or a consultant where looks for information and what was collected on one year is very different to what it was the other based on the fact that someone used commodification or, or what someone called a green fish now, someone calls a greeny yellowy fish, if you know what I mean. So by, by capturing in a standardised way, you hope that, you know, everyone will be speaking the same language for every year, if you know what I mean. And so the idea is that, yeah, I mean, the markets still remain probably the major um, area where the transacting of fish is. So it's capturing data of all the species that are that are being caught in the market, and so that that is reflected. So you can get, um, you know, obviously an idea of the the total range of species. And the idea is that by by collecting the information regularly across time, you then pick up some of the, pardon me, the intra-year uh, changes that happen. For example. Um, if people are fishing spawning aggregations, you'll suddenly see huge amounts of grouper, for example, in the markets. So that, that that's something you would pick up and go, ah, oh, what's going on there? Uh, another country, for example, if you turn up there at one part of the year, you'll find out that the, the, the market's full of um, uh, reef fish. But if you turn up at another part of the year, it transpires that the, the tuna come much closer to shore and, and, and the locals are much more interested in fishing for tuna. So you would get you would then notice your reef fish catches have gone down you go and check that out and realise because they're fishing for tuna. A fast-growing permit scheme in Papua New Guinea appears to have collapsed, with thousands of people losing their money. So-called Golden Sun, an unregistered business, characterised itself as an investment scheme, claiming to have the backing of Hollywood studios. But less than two weeks ago, the principals behind Golden Sun disappeared, closing down their website and leaving more than 40,000 people ruining the hundreds of kina they had forfeited. Don Wiseman spoke with our PNG correspondent Scott Waide, who himself is dissuading locals to avoid getting scammed. From what I've gathered and what I've tried to check is it started about two years ago and very slowly built up its members to just above 40,000. And that's a sizable chunk of people who were, you know, low income earners, a lot of them public servants. I've got a list of people who I've noticed some of my friends are on it even. So it's it's just massive amount of people who've joined this scheme, each paying a minimum of 750 kina. And and I'm just talking about the minimum payment that they've made. Each of them are expected to recruit up to 10 people each. So you've got this number of people who've who are using the banking system outside of the IPA, Investment Promotion Authority, which registers businesses. Uh, so they've been operating as a as an unregistered business for about two years. So yeah, a lot of people have been scammed. And on the twit on the 17th, I think bef- between the 15th and the 17th of March, there was a lot of pressure put on them 
uh, a few documents were forged and posted online and that brought the attention of drew the attention of Bank South Pacific which released a statement saying we we don't have any association with Golden Sun and that statement that they've released uh, saying that we will make payments through our branch managers is false and then there was another statement released by the Bank of Papua New Guinea the central bank saying that we also have no association with Golden Sun and everything they've said uh, lies and it was within this time uh, between the 12th and the 17th that the owners well the supposed owners of the of that group tried to register the company so they successfully registered a company called Golden Sun on the 13th of March so they've been operating illegally until the 13th of March but they registered the business as a repair shop of something and that's that's also what drew attention from the public who were really really angry many of them saying you know you've got us hooked onto this scheme we're paying money uh, it's not a financial investment company it's a workshop so that's that's been the tussle and on the 17th there were i guess two partners of that of golden sun who were believed to be australian all of them deactivated their accounts and then closed the the website was closed the website portal was closed so people couldn't access the website so it all happened within a space of two weeks the repair shop i presume doesn't exist as far as i know it doesn't exist uh, the the primary business has been collecting money and scamming people people who recruited 10 people what did they then get for that they got and this is in quotation marks uh, they got an upgrade to another level like they became they got promoted so they got a higher salary uh, well at least according to golden sun so they according to the website they were being paid in us dollars they in that that figure that was on the website then when you register you you get this membership identity and this account and they give you this payment in us dollars and all you have to do is review a few movies so people who reviewed the movies and according to how many movies they reviewed they got paid according to the website in us dollars and that was converted to kina and paid into their accounts do we know whether people have actually received any money a few people who who joined earlier got paid and those were the people who gave a lot of resistance to the education that was being posted online like personally i i posted a video saying you know explaining pyramid schemes um and didn't mention golden sun at any time but the, a lot of the pushback that i got personally was from people who had joined golden sun uh, and it was vicious really really vicious papua new guinea is these these are very common these ponzi schemes why why is png so fallible one i think it's the desperation of people that they want to make a lot of money i mean the the amounts that people were getting from golden sun were upwards of 1000 kina 3000 kina and those those were primarily drawn from people at the bottom of the pyramid so that kind of gave them some sense of security and some sense of promise that okay this is going to get bigger so let's let's recruit more more and more people so it's that sense of financial insecurity that causes people to join and the other one is just attitudes people expect something for nothing so they they try to find the easiest means of making money the main narrative that i got back when i tried to educate people was that you know are you going to come and help me pay for my food or pay for my children's school fees so it's the situation in the economy that you know life is really expensive and uh, people have to make ends meet that's 
I guess, the primary reason driving people into pyramid schemes. And these pyramid schemas know very well that you've got a large number of people willing to join, uh, even if it's for a short time. And right now, there are others in circulation. Yes, there, there are at least two, three, four uh, rearing the ugly heads. Um, and, and a lot of it is run by Nigerian scammers out of various locations. And they use Facebook, WhatsApp. Like personally, I've got several WhatsApp messages asking for me to join Bitcoin businesses. And you delete that number and there's a hundred more numbers that call you and send you messages. So, And there are others that are run by Papua New Guineans, uh, which rose and then died a natural death. There are others that are now recruiting much, much cheaper than the Golden Sun. So that offers that promise of fast money again. So it's it's just infectious. The impacts of a cyber attack which crippled Vanuatu's e-government infrastructure last year could have been much worse had they not been well prepared. This is according to a cybersecurity expert who also says Vanuatu is actually one of the more proactive Pacific governments with a centralised IT hub and official cybersecurity policy. Koroi Hawkins spoke with Professor Carsten Rudolph from the Monash University in Melbourne and began by asking him about the general cybersecurity landscape in the Pacific. Yeah, the cybersecurity situation in the in the Pacific is not actually not that different from the situation in other countries. So we see these kind of attacks all over the world. Um, what makes it a bit different is that the Pacific is currently going through a quite rapid process of digitizing government processes or new e-commerce of uh, new opportunities popping up in connecting people across the islands, across distances. Uh, there's new undersea cables being rolled out. Um, and all this, of course, increases the risks for cybersecurity issues as well, but it also creates lots of opportunities. So that's the situation we are in at the moment. Um, but what we find is that um, countries and governments and also private organizations, industry is not necessarily prepared to to deal with with this new complexity. From from what we understand from cybersecurity attacks recently in Vanuatu, also we've had had some previously in the Marshall Islands, is that the investment in that digitization, as you say, is is simply on getting the systems up and and getting there's not really that much money floating around to protect them. Is is that the sense you're getting as well? Well, money is is one issue, but there's there's quite a few other things around it as well. So Vanuatu has worked with us, that is the Oceania Cybersecurity Center in Melbourne, working with countries in the Pacific on their cybersecurity and with quite a few other partners on getting better positioned in cybersecurity. So they do have a cybersecurity policy in place. They have started to build up a computer emergency response team. So they are actually quite active in that in that field. And if you look at it historically, usually if you built up departments in a government, probably each department runs their own IT. There's some people managing it, usually not not actually really experts in the field um, and not experts in cybersecurity as well. So what Vanuatu has done is basically now providing more centralized IT services to government departments, which creates the the opportunity to also ramp up cybersecurity for these services. On the other hand, if there is an attack like it was in Vanuatu now, 
it means that a lot of the services are affected um, from the one place where you run uh, your IT. So there's big advantages of doing that, but then there's also disadvantages, and we have seen in Vanuatu um, that these disadvantages kind of played out in that in, the, in that attack. But then there's a question. If there wasn't that preparation and there wasn't a computer emergency response team and people who could be contacted and work on it, whether it might have been even worse. Mm. Yeah, I've actually, I think I have been in the room where the government server arrays were and talked to the director in Vanuatu. And it's quite impressive, I must say. Um, for the types of attacks, if you can, in layman's terms, if you can outline for us just what kind of attacks we're seeing on not just governments, but also citizens in terms of cybersecurity in the region. Uh, that's the, the types of attack we see are actually quite diverse. So there's sometimes people ask us, you know, why is it that attackers target small Pacific Island countries? There's not a lot of money to be, be stolen. It's, uh, there's no big enterprises, um, data sets are probably smaller and that, so it doesn't seem to be a great target to attack. But we need to understand that a lot of the attacks are not necessarily directly targeted. So let's say we have uh, vulnerable software and there's long lists of potential vulnerable software. And if it's not updated, it remains vulnerable. And then um, attackers basically scan the internet for these vulnerabilities. And where they find something, they try to to get in and this can be fully automated so it can be just rather random that this server or this computer sits in a country in the pacific region and then they roll out um, hardly fully automated uh, ransomware where data is encrypted or they try to steal the data and then they start looking at it and really understand who the target was and there's always some money to be be made so that's one type um, then there's very targeted ones that maybe some of them don't don't actually go for for money, but it's more activism type of thing. So that we have seen in Nauru, where um, emails of the police were published. So that was not for for financial gain. This was really to to raise awareness of some issues in Nauru. That was with a refugee situation with Australia. And then there's all these these individual attacks. There's scams where where people are tricked into paying money. For example, these messenger apps where um, where you get random messages from somebody, these are really randomly distributed and they they really try widely and then some people answer and they, they get some money. And, and so it's not, I don't think that for all these attacks, many people would go and say, okay, let's target the Pacific region. And then finally, there's more tension around the global situation um, between China, America, other players in the Pacific. And so that also plays into it so that the people try to get access to information, um, spy, maybe have like clandestine break-ins into system that we might even not know about yet. And so there's all this more political motivated uh, type of attacks as well. So it's a wide range of things. Specific ways for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs or download for free to a device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. From myself and the team that made this episode a brilliant one yet, till fast way four.